Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sari? Hi. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm hanging in there. How are you? <laughs> me too. Um, the one thing that's keeping me going is this Sarah Cooper interview that we're about to do. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I recently just watched her new Netflix special, Everything's Fine. Did you watch it? I watched it this morning. It's really brilliantly done, particularly the impact it has when you process it. Right. Uh, it just does a great job of capturing what it's like to you know, live in America in 2020. <laughs> and it's wild, though, because I know we are recording this ahead of the election, but we are going to air this after the election. Yep. And it sort of terrifies me because I, I feel like I've already entered that other, you know, post-November 3rd universe, which is hard to imagine, but I'm really interested to enter this new universe with Sarah, uh, yeah. who's just thought so much about life under Trump, life in America today. And I wonder how totally. she's doing, because it's a lot to put on her too, you know? Yeah, I think about that with her doing the Trump impersonations. Mm -hmm. I think that's how most people actually know her, as she does those lip syncs of Trump on TikTok, which really right. blew up during the pandemic uh, with her impersonations of the coronavirus briefings. I think that was like the one that really blew up, and people started started recognizing her, celebrities started retweeting her and everything. But yet you impersonate Trump all the time and keep reliving the things that he's saying, the things that are happening in our world must be exhausting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to give everyone a little bit more color on who she is as a person too. Uh, she worked at Google prior <laughs> to her career in comedy. Uh, and I'm laughing um, just because the stuff she writes while about, she was at Google, yeah. while she was at Google about working in tech is so hilarious. Totally. And also funny because it's true. It's just 100 percent. So yeah, she wrote <laughs> these comedic blog posts about her observations about work culture there. And the one that really went viral was called 10 Tricks to Appear Smart During Meetings. And I highly recommend it. It's hilarious. And it actually led her to quit Google and pursue comedy full time. She got a book deal out of it. Um, and that's what's led her to this Netflix special that we both just watched, which is great. Yeah. For a woman that has had the kind of success she has experienced in this year, in this environment, she's just sort of the quintessential 2020 woman to speak to about race and gender and ambition and what your voice sounds like and how men are judged by different standards than women. It's just like all of it is wrapped up in that one woman. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Sarah Cooper, welcome to Just Something About Her. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Really happy to have you here. Are you? I am. <laughs> Super happy. <laughs> it's the best. We've been looking forward to this forever. Everyone's all starstruck and nervous. <laughs> Just so folks know, this is Friday morning before the election. I voted this morning. And, oh, how um, did that feel? 
you know, the polling place opened at seven. And so my husband and I got there at 645 and there was already a line around the block in the rain. Oh my God. The only thing that was disheartening is somebody, as they were leaving the polling place, said, mm-hmm. all right, we're done for another four years. And I was like, no, <laughs> stay engaged, stay engaged. <laughs> it's just part of it. I find it in myself, the closer we get to election day, you know, hour by hour, my emotions can go totally mm-hmm. haywire. And I watched your special yesterday morning. And so, I mean, that, Sarah, it's so brilliant. And the longer you sit with it, seriously, the longer you sit with it, the more it resonates with you and sinks in. And I do think, and um, and I'm starting to tear up because as you you may know, I'm a big crier. (laughs) I didn't know that, actually. I am. I feel like it's, you know, when things are important to me, um, I will. And if I'm expressing something that's important to me, I can like tear up. wrote a whole chapter about it in my first book about crying at work because there are women who don't cry at work. I don't know any of them. But anyway, it just, I think it would have brought up is how much we do try to stifle and just to cope to get through the day. And um, I just think it does a really powerful job of putting all that we're living through in context with humor, but not for the purpose of humor. It just, I think it has, it has a really much bigger impact. Can you tell us what you were trying to accomplish in the show? Well, I did want to make people laugh. I mean, that was kind of the number one thing. Um, <laughs> you do. You know, I wanted it <laughs> yeah. to be funny. And so that was mm-hmm. kind of the number one thing. And then I think the other thing was trying to capture the feeling of this year and, and not being sure what's going on and what's happening, being inundated with news and I had this idea for this morning show anchor who ends up under the desk, you know, because of all just under the weight of all of the the news and everything and having to report it with a smile on your face and having to say everything's fine, even though things are not fine. I just wanted it to feel kind of like I, I knew it was going to be like a sketch show variety show, but I wanted it to feel like a, a cohesive thing because Mr. Show is one of my favorite sketch shows from back in the day. And so that's kind of what I was trying to do with it. For those who haven't seen you and Helen Mirren recreate that Access Hollywood scene with Donald Trump and Billy Bush on the bus, but you act out the whole thing, which many people haven't really heard the whole thing. There's something really powerful about you two impersonating men. And now for our top story, an exclusive look inside that now famous Access Hollywood bus. She used to be great. She's still very beautiful. I moved on her, actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and fuck her. I moved on her like a bitch, <laughs> but I couldn't get there, and she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit. I mean, first of all, Helen Mirren. Oh, my God. Like, I know. She's so, a badass. So good. She's so... Good. And it is funny, but it also kind of wrecks you because you're just like, wow. Have you isolated what it is that impacts us so much more when we hear a woman talking the way Trump does? When we see a we see it coming out of your face. I mean, it's just there's there's you doing it with Trump. But then it was just the destructive, the really misogynistic stuff that's coming out of Billy Bush's mouth in the form of Helen Mirror. And I was just like, whoa, I think it's. We just give white men the benefit of the doubt constantly. 
we see a white man and we are just trained to not judge and accept everything at face value. And if he makes a mistake, give him another chance. And we just, we're just, that is our country. And so when you see a black woman talking in any kind of like position of power or anything like that, you listen a little closer. And that's kind of what I'm taking advantage of. You're actually listening because you see it coming out of this face. Right. And it's a, it's like a quirk of like, our psychology where like we don't actually like see with our eyes or hear with our ears everything is through our brains like with our perspective and our perspective is i don't trust this person you know <laughs> because yes. because of how they look because we're so visual and or i may not even hear this person right that's you might like, just ignore that person yeah yes i mean that is like that's there's not just our own experience yeah, in that. The less but it's, weight on that person's what their person is saying because yeah. of, of what they look like, and so just to to flip it on its head, you know, Stephen Colbert when I was, you know I was on his show earlier this week, and he said you undercut the power, and that's kind of what it is. It's like yep. there's so much power visually. There's so much power. It's not real in a lot of ways. Like it's all fake and like put on, and it's a persona. And yeah, I mean um, Trump. That's what he like. Yeah, Trump. Yeah. But then you know to take that visual away, to take away this hard one, <laughs> not hard one, but like he works very hard on his image. He right. spends a lot of time on his hair, on his, the way he looks, on his suit. He makes sure that there's someone behind him nodding. There's someone in the audience clapping. There's someone in the audience laughing. He does all of that to like give us this perception. And I took away all his little tricks. You know, I took away all of them. And I think that's why it's really fascinating to watch. And Helen Mirren is just the absolute opposite of Billy Bush. Right. Um, of course she, she is. Right. See, it didn't even occur to me that that's... She's classy. She's got integrity. She's... Right. She, you respect her. And she's saying these awful things. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it just... It, like, almost hurts. You know? It's just like, ouch. It does. It really... No, it hurts. It hurts. It, like, yeah. Also, it's just, like, amazing how it's shot. Because, I mean, it's it's the bus. It's, it's the setup. It's all, you know, it's all of it. Yeah. I do feel like I'm watching just in the last few weeks, um, and this is something that I think is, in retrospect, we'll look back on the last four years as a time of like, incredible development for women, you know, giving themselves a voice, but also just in the arts and just perfecting, just really nailing their performances. You, with Trump, Kristen Welker with Trump, Savannah Guthrie with Trump. I just, mm -hmm. I feel like after sort of like wrestling with our own voices and dealing with men that don't believe us, don't respect us, and try to silence us sort of in the form of him, you found a way to hold him accountable. Mm -hmm. And that feels like there's lessons there. Not that like all men are like Trump by any means, but there's lessons there. I don't think there. all men are like Trump, but I think that there is a spectrum of Trump. <laughs> I think there's yeah. like all men have a little bit of Trump in them. That's what I think. <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? There's like varying degrees, but, you know, even like my dad who absolutely hates Trump and he at first really gave him the benefit of the doubt more than I did, more than my mom did. You know what I mean? And it's just this oh. like this guy thing of just like as a man, I think you see him taking advantage of things and getting away with it. And part of you is just like, yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> like you, they kind of like like that. And I had this thought this morning, which is an awful thought. Because <laughs> I love Hillary Clinton, but I, I had the thought this morning, like, I wish Biden had run in 2016. Oh, because you think he would have won? He would have. Because th this country is deeply sexist. 
Yeah. And I, he would have won. I think he would have won. Um, yeah, I can't go there because it's just too painful for me. But I feel <laughs> like we had to live through what we lived through in 16, see what happened to a woman running against Trump in order for this, you know, this kind of renaissance for women to happen. Oh, well, yeah. Which is, I hesitate to say that because I don't want to say like, oh, it's all been worth it, you know, mm-hmm. or it's fine, or this is some good outcome. It's like, there's not really good outcomes and bad outcomes, there's outcomes, and then you make what you can out of them. But I do feel like, um, so proud of how women have responded. I mean, you, yeah. do you, how does it feel to take on the power of that, of the white man? It feels good, to be honest with yeah? you. Yeah, say really more about good. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that was the impetus was just like, I want to get away with that. When I do this lip sync, there is a part of me that gets access that rarely gets access because of all this imposter syndrome, because I question my thoughts constantly. Like I judge myself so much and Trump doesn't do that. He doesn't. He thinks everything he says is brilliant. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He has all of these feelings about himself that more women should have, frankly, you know, because we actually have better and more important and smarter things to say. But unfortunately, the way this world is just so fucked up, it's usually the person that's thoughtful and smart and like conscientious that's quieter and that like takes their time and, you know, maybe isn't the loudest person in the room. And that's the person that maybe doesn't get heard, even though that's the person we should listen to, you know? And so just to be able to like take on that persona of just... I'm the best, you know, is it's, it's very empowering. I recommend everyone try lip syncing Trump. <laughs> so, it does, I mean? so, so it's like you can access these like muscles that you don't normally use because they're the muscles of like 100% confidence that what you're yeah. saying is the right thing. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. It is cool. We're going to take a quick break. More with Sarah Cooper in a few. Welcome back. We're here with Sarah Cooper. For those who don't know, tell us a little bit about your journey. You did come here as an immigrant, like what that was like growing up Jamaican here. Yeah, I mean, I came here when I was three in the dead of winter. So (laughs) a bunch of Jamaicans moving into Maryland, snow and just so it was like, (laughs) what's this? Never seen snow before. And my parents were just like really hardworking. And my dad got a job because he read something in the newspaper about how the um, transportation system like had this problem with like safety. 
and he knew how to fix it. And so he wrote a letter to the um, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority and said, this is how you fix the problem. That's how he got an interview and then got a job and then worked there for like 30 years. How scrappy is that? Very scrappy. But it's so funny because that stuff doesn't happen anymore, I don't think. Although we have other platforms now. We have like Twitter. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, you you got noticed on TikTok. That's true. I I did. But, you know, right. But like the earlier this year, my my mom was like, um, Sarah, you know what you should do? You should do that show comedians in cars getting coffee. You should just do that show. Like it was like like I could just do that show. Like I could just call up Jerry Seinfeld and be like, you know, what? you should put me on your show. By the way, your mother is right. You could totally call up Jerry Seinfeld to do it. Well, I'm like, no, you could. Like, maybe this- one day. But like at the beginning of this year, that, that would not happen. <laughs> Okay. She was she literally <laughs> said, you should do that show. I bet it pays pretty well. Like, like as if that would be the reason to do it is right. for a paycheck. You know what I mean? Um, oh, so, yeah, my yeah. parents were just very, you know, they were very supportive, but it was just, you know, an immigrant family. So, like, they wanted us to be successful, work hard. And I did very well in school and, you know, just always loved theater and always loved performing and did you have any role models to watch in your own family or? I mean, I wanted to be a singer at first because that's, oh. and I was Whitney Houston one year for Halloween and last year I was Tina Turner. I'm always like, that's, <laughs> that's my favorite thing. I, I wish I could sing. I wanted to be a singer and then I just, you know, tried out for chorus four years in a row, never made it. And the chorus teacher didn't like me and he told me I had a bad voice. And so now I just, I just didn't have any like faith in my Um, abilities. And that man is now in prison for child pornography. That's what happens when you give me bad reviews. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Be um, advised everyone. It's a a good little PSA. So then I found like theater and in high school was in Shakespeare. I was, you know, studying at the Folger Shakespeare library in DC every day. And just, you know, I was Juliet. I was Beatrice. I was Ophelia. I was Lady Macbeth. I did all of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Got to college and on a theater scholarship. And and where did you go to college? University of Maryland, College Park. Oh, go Terps. That's where yeah. We, yeah, we live in Maryland. Go Terps. Exactly. Yeah. My parents were just like, you know, you shouldn't be a theater major. So then I was going to do like theater and then like do something else, like just to like please them. But then I decided not even to do the theater and just ended up with an economics degree, which I got three and a half years because I was just like, I'm never going to use this. I'm just going to get out of here as quickly as I possibly can because this is just a waste of time. (laughs) And I wish I had stayed longer. College was fun. You know, it was a fun time. I just kind of like rushed through it. And how about as a black woman, but then also an immigrant woman, how you experience, you know, that? Well, I have a joke that's like, you know, being a Jamaican in America is weird because I am black, but then right. again, am I? Um, <laughs> like yeah. just doing my stand up for you now. I, I consider myself black, then a lot of other people don't. Um, like I worked at Google for a while and my manager IMT and he said, Sarah, I'm doing the diversity report. Is it okay if I say that you're black? <laughs> and I said, I am black. <laughs> And he goes, oh, great, even better. (laughs) I think it's confusing because it's like I'm black, but I also do improv. (laughs) I'm like, I'm black enough to be called the N-word, but I'm not black enough to say it. (laughs) 
And I learned that the hard way. I once said the N-word on stage and I was asked to stop. By a white guy. You know, I got made fun of all the time and for just not being black. You know, people asked me from I was like seven years old. They were like, what are you? Which is such a weird question. It's like, I'm a human being. Like, yeah, not, yeah, what yeah, are you? Yeah. People think I'm Mexican, Ethiopian, Indian. I'm just ethnically ambiguous, you know? Yeah. Identity is just, it's just hard to describe because I mean, I do consider myself black, but um, I just have white energy. I think that's what I call it. <laughs> You have a great sketch in the show about Karens. Mm -hmm. I imagine because, you know, I I talked to Nicole Hannah-Jones last week and she talked about how she's very aware that a lot of her audience is white, right? You know, she looks like she's talking to the New York Times. So she's talking to a lot of people like me. As mm-hmm. much as I complain about the New York Times, it's the first thing I open in the morning, the last thing I curse when I go to sleep. But, you know, um, she's basically talking to a bunch of Karens. <laughs> so mm. do you, what did you want to achieve in that segment? What's your what's your message to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I had this idea for a sketch a, little, a long time ago because I, I was living in San Francisco for a while and we had just moved into a new condo and I was walking into the condo and there was someone in front of me walking into the building and I had my key out because, you know, you're like, I want to make sure everyone knows I live here. So I'm going to have my key out, even though I'm following you in. I want you to know I live here. Um, yeah. But she stopped me and she was like, um, do you live here? And I was like, yeah, I live here. And he's, she's like, what apartment? You know, oh my I, God. I had to told her the apartment and she's like, well, I've just, I've never seen you around here before. Oh my and God. I just had this idea for a sketch where I'm like, you know, okay, well, here's my license, you know, here's my passport. <laughs> here's everything. I'm giving her like all, I'm doing a fingerprinting, like I'm doing everything. And like, meanwhile, there are people going in and out stealing stuff, but she doesn't care because she's just so focused on me and making sure that I live there. And I'm like the least threatening person in the world by design, because I just, I, I always want to make people feel comfortable. Right. I never want them to feel uncomfortable. And so just this idea that like, I have my own show and I go to do this cooking segment and she doesn't believe that it's my show and she doesn't believe that I'm Sarah Cooper. And, she, and so it's just, I love the sketch because it just kind of takes you by surprise. We're supposed to be talking about cupcakes, but we can't do that because she can't believe that this is who I she's supposed to be talking to. So it really did take me yeah. by surprise. Like I didn't even understand. I was like, it's the gag that like she doesn't recognize Sarah. When I was like, I was like, oh shit. I mean I really it did take a while to be like, oh shit, she's a Karen. <laughs> it's like it's so funny because I think Natasha Leone, like she she thought people were gonna know immediately. Like and I think some people do see it immediately, but then some people don't. And I kind of like that better of just like you kind of don't see it coming. Right. You think it's gonna be a sketch about one thing, but then it turns into a sketch about something else. I like that. I like when sketches go into, you know, places that you didn't yeah. really see coming. Yeah, it was it was much I mean, I guess in retrospect, the jean jacket should have been a tip off. Well, and the hair, I mean that wig, um, the, oh the hair person worked on that wig for days. <laughs> poor Jane Lynch. <laughs> yeah, poor Jane Lynch. Now it's time to hear from the people who pay our bills. We'll be right back. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. And we're back with Sarah Cooper. Humans are remarkably adaptable, remarkably resourceful, and we do cope, and that's a strength of ours. But in watching Everything is Fine, I did have the sense that at some point it becomes to our detriment. It becomes destructive. It's like we're bottling up. We're not coping. How do you mm-hmm. look at that? Look at coping as, as, I mean, we have to do it to get by, but it can become destructive. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like that's... um <sighs> That's kind of what we've been doing with with Trump. I mean, you know, even when he got elected, like I had that feeling of maybe this will be okay. Like, you know, maybe it won't be so bad. It's just you have to kind of tell yourself those things. And then as you start to watch things fall apart, you're still like, well, you know, maybe it's always been this way. You know, maybe it was even worse 100 years ago. And, you know, you just tell yourself all these things just to, like, make yourself feel better. And it can be destructive because, you know, you're boxing up feelings that are like, you know, and, and not letting them out. But then also things are happening that you need to actually do something about and, and speak out about it. If you care about it, you really do need to get involved. And I feel like that's why we saw so many people who never speak about politics get involved in politics this year because they couldn't hold back anymore. Which I guess is why in the end, as we said here on Friday morning... I do feel optimistic because the idea that 2016 would repeat itself seems so objectively ludicrous when you realize everything else in the universe has changed, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything has changed. And why, why would that one incident, the presidential election, repeat itself the same way when we're living in, you know, a universe that none of us, pandemic, Mm -hmm. a historic reckoning around race, historic Mm -hmm. economic downturn. We should not expect to have that same outcome. But I do feel like I've weathered through the pandemic pretty well. You know, like I have a lot of privilege, still been able to work throughout this. And a lot of my friends, you know, when I talk to them and say, how are you doing? Everyone's always like, I'm doing great because they think they feel like because they're doing better, you know, compared to others, they can't allow themselves to feel like they're doing badly. Mm. But it does seem like... What I find with your show is like all of us have room to express that kind of frustration and loss, right, that we've been through. Yeah. I mean, I have like deep experience with this because I have two sisters who were born with disabilities. Mm. Uh, My older sister, Charmaine, was born with Treacher-Collins syndrome. And so she was born without ears and without a chin. And she is a nurse now, a very successful nurse. My other sister has a developmental disability and she lives with my parents. And so I've always had this thing of just like, well, what, why should I complain? You know, I have it. I have it great, you know, but everything, happiness is, is, is relative. Charmaine experiences happiness and sadness the same way I experience happiness and sadness. And it doesn't invalidate my happiness or sadness just because I know that she has a different experience of happiness and sadness. So I think we all have a right to share that. And if we don't share it or if we tell ourselves that we're not allowed to share it, I mean, it's actually very destructive and and minimizing. You know, you feel like you don't deserve your success. You feel like you don't deserve your not your failures. You feel like you don't deserve anything because there's someone else who always has it worse. And there's always someone else who has it worse. 
And I feel like it takes away your power a lot of the time. It makes you feel very helpless if you feel like you're always comparing your struggles to other people's struggles. I mean, it's fine to put it in perspective. I will say that, right? you know, you can have your experience and I can have my experience and we don't have to say that your experience invalidates my experience or anything like that. I did note yesterday on Twitter, you had a tweet about the imposter syndrome, which is something Mm -hmm. I think a lot about or I love about. You said that my imposter syndrome is so good, it shuts down positive thoughts I have about myself before I even have them. What's going on here? What is that about? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I just had a hugely successful Netflix show come out two days ago. And let me tweet about this imposter syndrome that I have no positive thoughts about myself. You know, the tweet that I almost tweeted before that was that I don't know why reading bad reviews is so much more fun than reading good reviews. Oh, shit. You're reading reviews. I mean, I haven't learned the lesson. I'm new to this stuff. Like, I I know that I'm not supposed to read the reviews. No, you're not supposed to read them. (laughs) But the good ones, I'm like, it's so weird. I'll read the good ones and they'll be like, this was so funny, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great, great. Okay. But then I read the bad ones and I devour them. I devour every (laughs) negative thing that is said about me. Like no talent, like awful mess, bad writing, couldn't hold her own with all of these stars, like all of this bad stuff. And I (laughs) devour it because there's a part of me that's like, it's true. It's true. I'm terrible. You know what I mean? And I want the part of me that's like, wants to like feel validated that I'm right. I'm terrible. I want someone to tell me I'm terrible so that I can like validate it. And so like, like I can't have a positive thought about myself because I don't even let myself have that positive thought for it to get shot down. Like, I don't even go there. I'm I'm just thinking the negative things, you know. Do you feel like you're under a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations? Yeah, I do feel like I'm under pressure because I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm 42. I don't feel like I have a lot of time. <laughs> I feel oh, like shit. I'm like, I got to like make things. I got to like, I don't, I just feel like this sense of like urgency. And so like, if people didn't like it, then what if I don't get to make another one? You know, what if I don't get to, because I have all these other ideas I want to do, you know, I just, so I feel, I do feel that, that kind of pressure, like, oh, I don't want to be a failure publicly. Like, yeah, that, that sucks. But it's also just the opportunity. I don't want to waste this opportunity. I want to like, in a year, be like, oh, I was in a scene with Helen Mirren. And now I, you know, no one will answer my calls because I suck. You know, I, yes, I don't want to get to that point, you know? I mean, I totally understand what you're saying, but it's also nuts that you feel that way. (laughs) You know, we got to talk a few months ago, it was probably May, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was when, you know, like your TikTok Trump videos had definitely taken off and you were like a thing, but it was like before Netflix. But what I saw at that time, Sarah, is it's like, wow, you know, we are in a pandemic. Everything is shut down. People don't know how to be funny. Nothing makes sense anymore. And you find a way to break through and hugely, wildly successfully from your home on your phone. And you think that a year from now, you're not going to be able to find a way to continue to make art in the world. Let me just remind you, you are this a black is, woman. Yeah, <laughs> I like this. this my, you this are my favorite a, podcast. You're not even just a black woman. You're a black immigrant woman who started in tech, which is the, I mean, um, God love the people, but it's a little bro mm-hmm. Got out of it, found a way to, you know, write a book, to translate that into stand-up shows, and then to actually... Not just make us laugh in the pandemic, but take on the foe, the enemy of the pandemic, the one that's making it worse than it needs to be and holding him accountable in a way that's so powerful. We can't even describe why we love it so much. And then you go in the middle of the pandemic (laughs) 
and actually create a show in the middle of this pandemic with Helen Mirren playing Billy Bush. And you think that you can't keep that going. You are going to keep that going. Here's what we know about you. You always find a way to make your voice matter. Now you're going to make me cry. That's the history of Sarah Cooper. Oh, thank you. And like any good pep talk, this is also a pep talk for me. (laughs) Because, you know, it's a little scary now because we're both entering a new phase. Everyone listening is going to be entering a new phase. And you have to have the assurance that what got us this far, it's going to keep you going. I understand. Panic is like, ah, panic, but it's not real. It's just the panic. Yeah. You know you're going to continue to do amazing stuff. Thank you so much. That means a lot. (laughs) That actually does mean a lot. It's so funny the way that like the generalities are, it's one thing, but then hearing that, you know, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know. The litany, right. This is really interesting to me that you find that in impersonating Trump, you can access that kind of confidence. You've been impersonating men to some degree in your whole comedic career, right? From the tips Mm -hmm. for how to be successful in meetings and doing what men do. But do you feel like you can take that confidence that you see and apply it to other parts of your life or be more confident with your own ideas? I mean, there should be a positive takeaway. Obviously not based on what we were talking about before. (laughs) Just trying to lead a girl to some water here. Make her drink. (laughs) I have a, a distrust of overconfidence in myself. I feel like the second I get too cocky, that's when I'm going to lose it all. Like I I did this tweet the other day that was just like, I'm smarter than everybody. And then I was like, oh, wait, I've been hacked. You know, like, that's not what I would say. You know, like I I have these brief moments of just like, wow, I really know what I'm doing. And then I'm like, no, wait, no, I I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I mean, I do. I do feel like I know what I'm doing now. One exposure I had that helped me was working for presidents and where you see that even Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, as brilliant as they both are, don't have all the answers. Like they just don't. I mean, it's just some some problems are just too big. And in the end, it's like everybody's doing the best they can and the best you can is the best you can. And we look we look at how men are received when they say what they think and we mm-hmm. accept that. And like the best advice I ever got was people take their cue from you. And if you act like you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. they will believe that you are. That's why I found your tips for, you know, how to be <laughs> how to be successful that are funny, but they're also true. And I do a lot of them, you know, like, because mm-hmm. I, I do find that cribbing off of the confidence of men does, it could give me a little, a little boost. Yeah. And my friend gave me this great quote the other day was just like, your confidence is not threatening to people. But I think I do have this idea that if I'm too confident, I'm going to be threatening. And it's right. not, it's not true. Right. People it's love not. confidence. People, people love confidence. Love it. They love leadership too. They respond to it. They really yeah. do. Like they do respond to that kind of confidence. So what, um, you know, you've had like this trajectory that predates Trump. What, what do you feel like is next? You have all these ideas. You said, ooh, she's got a big smile on her face when I asked that question. Yeah. That's a good response. <laughs> Sarah, that's great. See, I just, there it I'm is. Just, that's, I know. I Well, I'm working on how to be successful without hurting men's feelings. That's a pilot that we're doing at CBS. And um, yeah, right after this, I got to finish this script. And I'm just really thrilled about these opportunities because I, I've written books. I've done stand-up. And then to be able to like take all these ideas and create characters and stories around them is just like giving me so much life. Like I love it so much. And so that's what I'm excited to do. And then I, you know, have I have an idea for another my next sketch show, which maybe in a year or something, I'll, I'll make something else. But like I just 
I'm filled with so much like hope for my own personal career. Like it would be really bad right now for there to be a civil war. Just, just saying for anybody listening, please. Cause I really would like to like make this stuff. Like I have so many ideas and I just have this feeling like, what if I don't get to, what if you this pandemic this goes on forever? Like what if there's a civil war? Like what if like all this stuff happening? And I was just like, I, I've been working on ideas and writing things down for like decades at this point. And I feel like I finally have the opportunity to share all of this stuff and actually make them come, make them into real things that people can see. And I just don't want to waste it. You became super successful in the middle of a pandemic. So you should not worry that the world is going to throw some curveball at you that is going to stop your career. <laughs> I hope not. But I know that panic. I had that panic at the beginning of the pandemic, too. I know exactly. I was like, wait, I have a book coming out. Wait, I've just started a podcast and the world's yeah. going to stop me from doing these things. Yeah. Um, and it seems selfish, but you just like, oh, wow, I really want to create this. And I think it's going to help people and people will want it. And it's going to give voice to women and something's going to get in my way of doing it. Right. But it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you did that now. You're going to like, you're going to keep going. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. It's scary to like, I, I feel like I've written a lot of things and been like, yeah, if people see it, great. If they don't, that's fine too. I'm finally writing things now that I'm like, I have to write this and I have to have this made. Like, I don't even care if, if no one will pay me to do it. So I have to make it. And that's writing with that kind of an intention. Just if it's incredible. That's like what Gloria Steinem says, right? Writing is the only time where I feel like I shouldn't be doing something else. That's a really great thing to feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do in the world. I'm so excited for you. And Thank so, you, yeah, I mean, I see a lot of other comedians on Twitter following your new model and they're awesome voices that wouldn't be heard otherwise. It's just an inspiring and instructive for all of us to see how you've been this creative and made that kind of success and put something different in the world. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Sari, what about that? I mean, <laughs> you were providing pump-up speeches. You were her hype man, hype woman. <laughs> How could I? I feel like this is a heavy week. and Yeah, I'm certainly feeling it. I'm totally yeah. feeling it. Uh, wow, it's just so much. It's so amazing to hear her say these doubts that she has about fearing that she's not going to continue to have opportunities. And then she reels off like nine insanely interesting, cool things that she's going to do. Absolutely. That, she's already, that she already has in the works, including like a CBS show. Right. And <laughs> and it's like you, you put it so perfectly is that she's obviously so resourceful. Her breakout periods of time have been because she's gone with her gut and her breaking out from Google was the first one. And then obviously being able to become super successful during a pandemic, you have to be resourceful and savvy and all that stuff. So her imposter syndrome is obviously coming from nowhere that is real, which is where all of our imposter syndrome comes from. Yes, right? Like, hey, ladies listening, our takeaway is if we needed any more evidence of the doubts we have in our head about our own abilities or bullshit, like, listen to what Sarah Cooper just said. After, Absolutely. Right? The one thing that she said, I was like, oh, my God, I do that all the time. It's like, there are definitely moments when I'm doing my job or doing something else where I'm like, you're crushing this. Like, you got this. You were made to do this. And then no less you than five seconds later, I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not true. You have so much more to learn. And, like, someone could be doing this better. From Like, I, I the second I start to have positive thoughts, I erase them immediately. <laughs> 
but you are crushing this and you were born to do this theory. Like you're totally crushing this. You're totally crushing your job. It's insane. Like you do a lot in this, uh, in this job of yours. Thank you. But I felt like that was phenomenal. I'm so glad that we did that and we did it before the election. And I think uh now what I'm going to do, whatever I'm feeling doubtful is to imitate Trump. It's kind of like the power stance of our generation is to just put Trump's words in our mouth and we're going to feel super confident. It's like standing in the mirror and putting your arms in the air and that power stance. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's a great little device. I think so. Like access to confidence Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Use it for good. Yeah. Yeah. This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Sarah for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer. <laughs>